Welcome to Blockstars, Ripple's podcast that features leaders in crypto and blockchain to discuss the basics of the technologies, the current landscape, and the real-world problems being solved. I'm your host, Ripple CTO, XRP Ledger co-founder David Schwartz. I'm joined today with Icon CEO and founder Mark Blinder. Mark was the author of the Harvard Business Review article, Making Cryptocurrency More Environmentally Sustainable, which is going to be the topic of our conversation today. It's great to have you on our episode, Mark. Hey, great to be here. Thanks. Tell us about Icon. So Icon is a company that was founded with the vision of helping to spread mass adoption of blockchain. We have a product called OrID that links online identities that people are used to using every day, your Facebook account, your email address, your phone number. We link those to blockchain identities. And so we plug into a variety of layer one blockchains, as people call them, that are systems that run applications like an Ethereum, like an EOS. And we have our own chain that stores the decentralized identities. That's called the Open Rights Exchange. And that is not a Turing complete system. It's a very narrowly focused chain that really just holds identities and access rights to certain data feeds. So we do one thing really narrowly, and then we plug into other blockchain systems. Is this more about regulatory compliance or human convenience? Is it so that I can pay you with, you know, or find you on a blockchain just by knowing, let's say, your Facebook ID or your Twitter handle? Or what's the problem it's solving? Yeah, it's more about usability uh, and human convenience. And we particularly have a focus on helping businesses connect to the blockchain. So our, I guess, most common customer is a business that has an existing database of users, and maybe their unique ID is something like the email address in their database or the Facebook IDs in their database. And we are going to convert that whole user base to having decentralized identities in the cloud. So I know you focused on sustainability and the impact of crypto, crypto on the environment. Was it blockchain that got you interested in the environment? Or was it your interest in the environment that led you to blockchain? How did you get into this? Well, for me, honestly, it's really neither. I just feel that all of us in this world have a moral responsibility to do better for the environment than we've done in the past. So as a startup founder, I'm always trying to find ways that my company can be more environmentally sustainable. And I'm always encouraging any company I do business with to do the same. So what do you see in the crypto space on the sustainability front? Yeah, well, I think the biggest barrier in the crypto front is proof of work blockchains. Proof of work, obviously, the work is environmentally expensive. Uh, it usually basically involves turning electricity into cryptocurrency, uh, while very important and revolutionary, right? I, I am a Bitcoin user. I do think we can't afford to have many proof-of-work chains operating in the world at the same time. The biggest proof-of-work system is, of course, Bitcoin. And the thing about proof-of-work is you're basically turning electricity into money. And so the more Bitcoin is worth, the more electricity it requires to operate the system. And so because there's a lot more competition to get the, to get the mining going. And so what we've seen today is... Bitcoin is generating about 22 megatons of carbon a, a year, which is as much as a city like Las Vegas. But at the peak of its price, it was using as much power as the entire country of Ecuador. And so you have this real issue built into the uh, Bitcoin architecture where the more valuable Bitcoin becomes, the more incentive there is to waste a huge amount of power to generate Bitcoin. 
And so there's this real catch-22 of environmental destruction built into the system, which is part of why it's so important that we move to sources of renewable energy to do our Bitcoin mining for the future of both the industry and the planet. So we don't want 20 Bitcoins. So, well, I guess we all want 20 Bitcoins, but we don't want 20K Bitcoins until we have ways to do all that mining without destroying the earth (laughs) slowly. Although I have to say there are already, you know, if people are into this sort of thing, you can look into folks like Genesis Mining in Iceland who do Bitcoin mining with 100% renewable power. So I've been really excited to see other chains out there using things like the XRP ledger, which uh, has a different consensus mechanism, or our own system is delegated proof of stake. It's much more environmentally efficient, uses much less power per uh, kind of work done. For those who don't know, proof of stake systems operate based on financial value rather than on work. So it tends to be much more energy efficient uh, and use a kind of different type of capital to operate the consensus. We also focus as, as uh, at mining as the heart of the problem, uh, both because it creates a sort of group of stakeholders that might not align with the people trying to use the system and because of the sort of uh, environmental impact as well as the cost, because the costs of the, that mining, you know, is paid for by the people who are using the system. Yeah, exactly. It's slow, it's expensive, and it's not super efficient. And there have been a lot of projects that have come out that are trying to do useful proof of work. Uh, one of the best, right? Uh, it's now called Revel, I think. But even that still seems to me to be kind of an end run around a problem instead of just getting to the heart of the problem, which is how you can reach consensus without so much wasted effort. Well, Ethereum looks like they're going to be transitioning to proof of stake. Um, What do you think about that kind of transition? Yeah, I I mean, I have some friends working on that. I certainly hope they make it. Uh, It seems like a very large challenge. And I think one of the biggest challenges with a truly decentralized proof of stake system is if you become important enough that very well-funded players decide to attack the system, right? Like a Goldman Sachs that could throw $8 billion at something, there may be holes in what seem like really good solutions. And so I'm like super hoping they figure it out. I think they have a really good shot at it and they have some of the smartest people in the world working on it. But at the same time, I do think some other kind of consensus systems where you trust a certain number of nodes is a much easier solution that we can use in the short run. Are there any examples of other companies or technologies being developed in the blockchain and crypto space that help on the sustainability front? Yeah, I mean, there's a few out there. There's, uh, you know, there's definitely projects that have only used environmentally friendly uh, servers to run the nodes and things like that as, as one of the rules of the road. But I think, honestly, the better approach is the technology industry as a whole starting to adopt more and more use of renewable energy, right? There's no reason we can't get electricity from the sun or from geothermal. You've even seen some proof-of-work mining operations that are doing 100% sustainable mining. And so I think that's something that I am more excited about than... I guess some of these more niche projects where they're, you know, trying to 
do a blockchain where it's only sustainable servers. One of the things that I've talked about a lot is that we're not finished innovating, that uh, the crypto, the cryptocurrency is a field that's still developing, technologies are still coming out. Can you share anything, any innovations that you know of, particularly in the field of green technology or smart grids or what's going on in the industry from your perspective? Well, yeah, it's interesting because I've, I've talked to a lot of people in the energy industry and they believe when you kind of get down to it, that uh, not all of them, but at least a lot of the ones I've, I've spoken to believe that the only way to truly move from these big fossil fuel power sources into fully decentralized power is a kind of bid-ask system all over the world for power, right? So your rooftop solar can be sold to the grocery store near you during the day, and the wind power when it's running can charge the batteries in the middle of the night. And that requires a blockchain to operate really efficiently and effectively uh, and without massive monopoly power. And so I do think even though there isn't a company I could point to today that I would say, oh, they've solved it, this is it, I think those innovations are coming and blockchain as an approach is the right way to solve that problem. So an exciting area to watch for future research and future products? Oh, 100%. Because I really honestly believe we have the products we need on a environmental sustainability front, right? Like I have rooftop solar on my house. Uh, It's bought on a subscription, right? No money down. I just pay a small amount each month. It's actually profitable each month. So it's no money down plus free money every month for me. Uh, You know, took some effort to set up, but not that much effort. And I think that kind of stuff is there, and we just need innovations in how we productize it, how we take it to market. You know, you can plug your your solar, your wind power into electric vehicles, and all of a sudden you're taking out the majority of carbon emissions for Americans, right, in terms of their home, their vehicles, and their electricity use. And so we're there on the hardcore, like basic research technology, but the innovations are still coming. And I think there's also a challenge on the user experience side of even if you had the technologies, how do you make it so that people can easily use and understand them? That's been a big challenge throughout the cryptocurrency space. Yeah, absolutely. And that's a lot of what we work on. That's really close to my heart. You know, I'm a product guy at heart. I'm not an academic researcher. You know, we're the guys who come along when a lot of these deep research problems have been solved and then say, how do we make this easy to adopt? How do we make this easy for average people or average businesses that have to serve those people? So is the nightmare scenario that there's no movement on fixing this issue and we have a whole bunch of proof of work chains and five years from now, we have this just massive carbon footprint? Yeah, I I mean, I think that would be a pretty bad scenario and totally unnecessary, right? I mean, we're always going to have, I hope and believe we'll always have Bitcoin, but I don't think we need other proof of work chains really. And I think Ethereum moving to proof of stake will be hopefully the signal to the industry that we really don't need that kind of approach anymore. And there are better approaches out there. And if, uh, you know, if the number two blockchain in the world can do it, then the number 50 or the number 150 or 1050 can do it too. 
And I think even if you say, hey, I'm a terrible person, I don't care about the environment, I just want these technologies to be efficient and give good user experiences and everything, I mean, the cost is uh, pretty significant as well. It's Not every blockchain can generate the kind of value that Bitcoin can. Yeah, for sure. I mean, that is so, so true. I, I just don't think you want systems that have been engineered to be massively inefficient except in very, very specific use cases. And I, I think you're totally right that even from a purely self-interested point of view, you're going to want these other systems in the near term. Now, I will say there's sort of a U-shaped curve to it, uh, as they say, because I think 10 years from now, we're going to have such wide implementation of ecologically sustainable power sources that energy will become very cheap. And so that calculus may change where proof of work 20 years from now is so cheap to do that you may have reasons to go do it again. But even then, I don't know how much the proof of work will actually deliver you the value you want if the electricity is basically free. So let's take it in the other direction then. So what is the, what does blockchain look like? What does crypto look like if we are able to build uh, the kind of systems that you're talking about? Yeah. So, I mean, if you have a world with totally free electricity that is not killing us, which I think we will, it's just the only way to go. I, I don't think we're all going to kill ourselves uh, over the next 200 years, right? At that point, you're going to want some other form of consensus other than proving how much electricity you've used, right? Because then the amounts will become astronomical uh, because the electricity is going to be so cheap. And when you have these other forms of system, you know, this may be my inherent biases having grown up in America, but I do think representative systems are a good form of governance where you have somehow a system of checks and balances with appointed representatives that bring some expertise it, in the world of blockchain, that's technical expertise, right? We're not talking about politicians. We're talking about engineers and, and servers, but they have a role to play. Like the block producers on our blockchain have been chosen for their technical chops. We don't really care how much marketing they do. We don't expect them to be doing things other than producing blocks, right? They, they run the chain. They get chosen for their ability to run the mm -hmm. chain. And in the long run, we want to really decentralize that so that the users of the chain can remove them based on their performance. And so I think much like, as I understand it, this is sort of similar to your validators that are sort of appointed in your system that are expected to do a good job. And if they're doing a good job, then they will keep their job. And if they're not doing a good job, they'll be chucked out of office, right? Yeah. So it's been 11 years since, believe it or not, since Bitcoin and proof of work came on the scene and the technology has been evolving since then with technologies like proof of stake and delegated proof of stake and uh, different user experiences that what Ethereum's tried to build. Nobody's been able to get any kind of real mass adoption. I think we're still in that kind of experimental phase. Do you think either something in the sustainability area or, or some new application like the technology in autonomous vehicles, um, is, is, this, is there some path to mass adoption here? That's a great question. I, we believe the problems with mass adoption are actually on the front end user experience level. So what we're doing with Facebook login or connecting to your existing email address, 
Uh, those kinds of things, I think, are actually the biggest challenge for most uh, mass adoption. And there's a lot of complexity to how you serve both the crypto savvy people who can manage their own private keys and how you serve the rest of the market who can't and don't want to manage their own private keys. And so we've put a lot of work into that, but I do think that's what it's going to take. There is certainly a portion of the market that worries about the ecological footprint. And I love those people. I think they're great people, but it's not the mass adoption problem. The mass adoption problem is a seamless experience that's just as good, if not better, than the internet people use today. And so until it's as easy as Netflix, it's not going to get mass adoption, I think. You don't think that like just being green is uh, sufficient to drive adoption? It won't be enough to say, hey, this is good for the environment, so you should do it. It has to be like, this is something fantastic that solves a real problem you have. Oh, and it's also good for the environment? What do you think? Yeah, that's what I believe. Maybe I wish that weren't true, but I, I think if you look at a company like Tesla, they're able to walk around and say, this is a better car. And it's good for the environment. And I think that is a vastly better sales pitch than uh, trying to convince people, say, to stop eating meat because eating a vegetarian uh, diet is better for the environment. There are things that have this huge, huge impact on our carbon footprint, like our cars, like our houses. And we can fix those, like our internet, right? These are things that can be fixed with the same quality experience the exact same, if not better, experience for the average person. And that's where I think we'll make the biggest impact and have the biggest chance to change the world. Yeah, I think Tesla kind of tapped into this, like, I want a fancy, beautiful car that's really comfortable and that I can show off. Oh, and by the way, I can like say that I'm, I'm being nice to the environment. You know, if I go buy a yacht, I can't convince anyone that I'm being nice to the environment, right? And I can kind of get that experience. And at the same time, I, I'm actually I'm actually doing good. You think you think blockchains can capture that? Yeah, absolutely. Because I think the ethos of decentralization, that sort of power to the people idea, and the getting rid of monopolies and putting power in the hands of people who deserve it in this very equal system, where people all over the world get the same data at the same speed with the same rules, that is an idea that to me is fundamentally powerful, that if you can give people the same user experience, they will pick that, right? I do I do think much like Tesla, if you can give someone a fancy car, they'll take the green car. If you can give someone a, you know, user experience that they, they like and can deal with, they're going to take something that treats the world in a more democratic way. They're going to take something that treats people fairly, that they can feel good about, that they can be proud of when they talk to their friends. Absolutely. I do think people are fundamentally good. And if you can give them an option that's good enough and ethically better, I do think they'll take it. You want to try to put that into some kind of a coherent narrative where you say, like, for the same reasons that this is something that solves a problem for you and it gives you a good experience and provides something that you want, it's environmentally friendly and you sort of synthesize that into a narrative. Like electric cars are fundamentally better, so we're giving you a better car. And by the way, it's also good for the environment. Exactly. And I think the blockchain industry has had some amazing success already, but 
went through a really big challenge with you know various scams and hacks and things like that that damaged kind of the brand of the whole enterprise and so we're in a moment where there's a lot of adoption of things like hyperledger right these sort of private permission blockchains that don't deliver on that broader vision of changing the power structures in society but i think we're going to get there right i think that idea is so revolutionary and valuable that it will win in the end. And just like we saw the internet eventually replace all the corporate intranets, right, where the vast majority of what happens today is on the public internet, I think public blockchains will win in the end because they're better for small businesses, they're better for individual people, they're better for people who live under repressive regimes, they're better for people who live in less developed economies. There's just so many great stories when you start to understand what's going on in the blockchain. I think in the long run, that's that's going to be really compelling for people. And we just have to get there as an industry. Do you see blockchain delivering on those promises that the broad ones that come from some of the people who are more ideologically motivated, things like changing the power structure of society? Do you think that's something realistic to get out of these technologies? I do think it's realistic, but I think it's like multi-decade realistic. Right. I met a woman from Afghanistan who said, you know, I, I asked her about cryptocurrency and she said, I love Bitcoin. It's the first time women in my country could have money that the uh, men in their family didn't know about. And I was like, wow, there's so much to that statement uh, about both how people can actually take control of some of their own power but also how, you know, the U.S. government has no plan for the women of Afghanistan, really. Like, Google has no plan. PayPal is not there. No one else is really going to step in for that person, right? I, I actually taught some Syrian refugees how to use uh, a crypto wallet for the first time, like a Bitcoin wallet. And one of them turns around two minutes later and says, well, if I give these 12 words to my family in Syria, will they have the Bitcoin? And I was like, yes, that is exactly right, right? And so you see in these, these little green shoots of people who are suddenly having access to something they didn't have before. And it just takes so long in a world to turn these boats around, right? Like these these things that have been with us for decades, these power structures are not going to be overthrown overnight. It takes decades. It takes a long time to change. And so I am confident that we'll get there in the end, but I am also not confident that we're going to get there next year. You know, It is encouraging, though, to see you know, benefits already that are very tangible, particularly to people who are just completely unserved by most of the existing financial system. Yeah, totally. And those stories are really eye-opening for me when you encounter them. Uh, and it's one of the things I feel so lucky to be in this industry and kind of running into those kind of people out in the world. It, it, it's truly amazing what is possible if you put tools in the hands of people. And I think the internet did a lot of that, but the way it evolved, it's still today, there's a lot of reasons you want your internet company to be closer to Mountain View 
right? The closer you are to Mountain View or the closer you are to maybe London or GCHQ or things like that, you can get better performance, you get better access to capital, you get better access to uh, a certain kind of talent and certain kind of connections. But blockchain levels that playing field with people all over the world. And we've seen huge developments in Argentina or Zimbabwe, right? Nigeria, uh, Afghanistan, as well as huge developments in America and Europe and Switzerland. And so I, I do think, uh, you know, what you see happening in Singapore, what you see happening in Malta, it, it is starting to deliver on that more decentralized vision, that more flat world where everyone gets a fair shot. Um, and that's something I do believe in. Do you think the next step is going to be better user experiences? Do you think the technology needs to change? What What do you think uh, needs to happen in the shorter term? What's next? I think the shorter term is for blockchain to become more like other database technologies where in the short run, users don't really have to understand it or be aware of it. This is probably going to be a bit of a controversial stance. You know, we think that it's better to have some footprint for people on the blockchain, even if they don't really understand what that's all about, so that they can later, as they learn more, take control of that identity in the future. So a lot of what we do today is totally transparent to the user. Uh, and people may have different opinions about whether that's the right thing to do, but you know, it, it can be completely seamless. And just like you wouldn't understand that a company has moved from MySQL to MongoDB, you wouldn't necessarily have to understand that this, you know, loyalty program has moved from MongoDB to a blockchain. <laughs> but at the same time, once that's happened, then there are opportunities down the road for those people to actually, or those people or small businesses or whatever, to take control of those identities, take control of those key pairs, take control of those assets. And it does open up new ways of interacting in the future. And so I believe in, you know, our kind of technical theory behind all this is that we're going to go through this phase of we went through the hype cycle of blockchain. Now we're going to go through the blockchain is just infrastructure phase where people don't notice it, but it's getting more and more used all over the world. And then we're going to go to another phase of that like real change where now that the pipes have been laid all over, the new use cases, the new approaches, the new decentralization can really spring forth from that ground. Yeah, I think there's that tension between when the technology is invisible and when the technology is visible and uh, you can move further with a technology that's invisible. Like we're very aware of things that we do on the internet when you send an email, when you go to a web page, but most of what happens on the internet, or at least a significant fraction of what happens in terms of like number of transactions is machines talking to machines to enable things to happen in the real world that might involve the electric grid or efficiency in delivering raw materials, all kinds of things sort of behind the scenes. Yeah, that's exactly right. And and that is the base layer we need, right? I, I, that's, that's so on point. It's First, we need something that's performant enough that it actually works for machines talking to machines, and, right? And then we need something that plugs into these smart devices. You know, when you're talking about the power grid, we need it to plug into these smart devices. We need it to be fast and performant. And then we need 
a financial system that plugs into it, you know, something you guys have been leading on. And then you can start to enable a rooftop decentralized energy grid that doesn't involve major uh, utility companies that are unfortunately tied to carbon-based fuels and also tied to a very expensive process of moving power over long distances. I think you could look at Ripple's strategy kind of that way. It's like blockchain for power users, then blockchain for enterprise infrastructure, then, well, you're using this blockchain for inf enterprise infrastructure and it enables some benefits for your customers, like push those benefits out to your customers. Then you have this mature infrastructure that's providing benefits to people that people can then access directly. Yeah, that's exactly right. And, and you want people to... Mature is the right word. You want it to be mature when it arrives, right? I'm sure a lot of people have been lost along the way because they lost their private keys and lost a couple hundred bucks or a couple thousand bucks and then trashed the whole system to all of their friends for six months, right? So we need to do everything we can as an industry to mature the system and find real use cases and deliver real value while we grow and grow up. There's a lot of chicken and egg problems in that, though. It's very difficult to build technology without customers. It's hard to get customers without technology. It's hard to provide great user experiences without critical mass. It's hard to get critical mass without great user experiences and so on. Yeah, so we are all crazy that are in this industry. And the people listening to this podcast, thank you all for the work you're doing because you know, you're doing the hardest thing and a lot of blockchains are going to fail. A lot of blockchain companies are going to fail. A lot of people are going to put in amazing work and not make it. And, you know, I do think we're all doing that for the greater good in the long run. But uh, it's definitely a crazy, crazy thing to do with our time every day. It is. And the industry's gotten a lot of black eyes, sometimes deserved, but sometimes just like people trying to do things without knowing what's going to work or what's going to get traction or just just you know, just trying to build on the technology that they have. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I think when you see that with normal internet companies, you know, quote unquote normal, I'm making air quotes on a podcast, which is great, but uh, the quote unquote normal internet companies, most startups fail. That's like the whole way the ecosystem works. And when blockchain companies fail, it's this huge scandal and this huge black eye. But when a run of the mill internet company fails, it's it's kind of just expected rules of the road. And we had that same cycle, right? Like at one time, anything on the internet would get funded and everybody thought it was a great idea and there was this huge boom. And then most of those companies that either never had sound fundamentals or just had too much competition or just for whatever reason, they collapsed, but the internet didn't die, right? Stronger companies came out of that. Yeah, exactly. And it is crazy too, because when you look back, all of those dumb ideas, you know, again, the air <laughs> quotes on, on the podcast here, all those dumb ideas... Uh, turned out to be great ideas right. 15 years later, right? Like I buy pet food on the internet all the time now, right? I get my books on the internet all the time now. And so uh, I think it's sometimes hard for people that are at the cutting edge of technology, you know, the blockchain founders out there to understand how far ahead of the rest of the country and the market they may be. Yeah, I sometimes use the example, like if you came up with the idea for Twitter in the year 2000 and pitched it to someone, first of all, they'd say you were crazy. But second of all, you have no market. Right. Yeah, totally. 
and if you had somehow found a way to last <laughs> for 15 years then you you'd be a dominant player in the media space today but you know that's it's really hard and people have to be really scrappy to make it through the hard times and uh, you know, and you'd sound crazy because you'd be like, "Hey, I have this idea," and you would describe Twitter to people, and you'd say, "But the problem is, people need better phones." They'd be like, "What do phones have to do with your idea?" But that is actually the problem, right? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> it's it's very strange. Well, and and not to get too technical, but one of the things when you talk about phones, you know, we're doing work with the Web Authn standard, which uses the key store on your phone, right? And those are the types of innovations that are going to make blockchain technology more decentralized but still work on your phone in a way that users don't even notice right and that type of thing i think is to your point a requirement for this stuff to work and it's a chicken or the egg type of thing that takes a long time to work through all the chickens and all the eggs that have to get us to web off end yeah so before we go, you've shared some ways that you've optimized your home and lifestyle, things like solar panels. What can our listeners do to make uh, either themselves or the industry or their industry have a small carbon footprint or more environmentally friendly? Yeah. So the biggest things you can do as an individual are to address your house and your car, right? Uh, the more that can be electrified and using renewable power, the better. And most, I don't know, about a lot of utilities will let you switch to all renewable if you pay a little bit extra and it's barely noticeable. And if not, there's uh, companies out there like Arcadia Power who will like buy you uh, renewable energy if you give them your uh, login and they'll buy it elsewhere in the grid, right? Uh, you can do carbon offset mm -hmm. offsets for your travel. For folks that are startup founders, they probably are on airplanes a lot. And so... Uh, you know, that's something you can do that has a big impact. Uh, electric cars, obviously great. And then I think we can push as an industry to get the cloud hosting providers to start offering more renewable power, right? That's something that right now there's a really big trade-off between having all the kind of technical infrastructure you might want versus having servers that are available on 100% renewable. And so I think that's something we can push for as an industry. And then, of course, if you are in the blockchain industry, you can use non-proof-of-work systems today, and you can save huge amounts of power that way. And you can uh, go out there and talk to elected officials, talk to your friends, talk to your family about making the switch to electric power and, and renewable energy. Thank you. So what's your favorite book and why? I know it's a little off the topic, but it's always nice to have some fun. Yeah, so I have a fun answer to this with a fiction book. Good, that's what okay, we want. Okay, if you want the fun answer. That's what we want. Uh, Ancillary Justice by Anne Leckie, which is far future sci-fi, but a really interesting look at kind of artificial intelligence as it's evolved far in the future. And I would say, if you're going to take this book recommendation, don't read the back of the book jacket. Don't read anything else about it. Just start it. And it's just incredibly amazing. It's best to go in with no expectations and just just, just get it for what it is. Yeah, the, the less you know, the better. But it won all sorts of awards. And uh, it's amazingly well-written and, and thought-provoking and, and wonderful book. Thanks for that, Mark. No, it's a pleasure. And I brought some, a nonfiction recommendation, too, if you want me to double <laughs> up. But... Uh, 
I'll go for it. Yeah. So the other thing that's really struck me, I recently read Admiral Michael Hayden's The Assault on Intelligence back to back with Nietzsche's Antichrist. <laughs> and if you read those two books together, it will tell you everything you need to know about this era in America <laughs> and what is going on. And uh, yeah, The Assault on Intelligence, I'm a liberal guy, so I don't usually read those kind of books by a you know conservative former head of the NSA, former CIA guy. And it's just a very eye-opening thing to see through their perspective on what their job is in the world and what is being taken away by the current administration. Obviously, with Nietzsche on the other side, it's like the nihilistic moment uh, we're in. It's It was super helpful to me. It is It is interesting looking at that from the other side. Like Most people are kind of on the more civil, civil libertarian side, and they sort of understand the law and order side, but they haven't read like the visceral like impassioned pleas from people who are on the front lines. And I, I sometimes find myself screaming inside when I'm reading them. Yeah, I know. It, it's really interesting. Yeah, even just like the fundamental premise that these, you know, intelligence people have that what they're trying to do is set the left and right boundaries of reality for policymakers. And that to me was an attitude that I'm not sure if I entirely believe, but it is something that I had never even kind of conceptualized their jobs that way. And it's so interesting to think, you know, a, a lot of people like us in the blockchain space are pretty, you know, into our civil liberties. Uh, but it is interesting to think that there is some real importance there if you're going to point an army or a intelligence apparatus in one direction that you really do need to set those boundaries of what's considered real information that we can operate off of when we're making decisions. Yeah. Well, thank you for joining me, Mark. It was great hosting you on Ripple's newest podcast, Blockstars. Listeners, thank you for tuning in. In our next episode, we're going to be talking about the upcoming Bitcoin halving. What is that? What does it mean for the industry? If you have any questions about this episode or any feedback for new episodes, please reach out to me on Twitter at Joel Katz, J-O-E-L-K-A-T-Z, or to the Ripple team on Twitter at Ripple. Until next time.